Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits of Mitrap podcast. How you doing today, Mike? I'm good. Because you know who reached out and is going to fix and solve my problems from last week of the torn manuscript page. Our man, Kyle Mills. The guest of today's podcast. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter. He, uh, we, we talked about your... your your sob story last week, your hasty <laughs> ripping up, but yeah, uh, he's he's gonna make it right. He's gonna print it out. You 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 DM'd him, I guess. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got my back, man. But I told him I was like, no rush. Wait till you're home in the states. Ship it out then. I don't want you to have to pay international postage. But my man was willing to do it, and so just how awesome is that, Chris? It because in my mind, he's he's practically a celebrity, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he is. He he's famous. He's an international New York Times bestseller again. By the way, yeah, number yes. two, number two on Fucking New York Lane Times. Fucking Lane Moriarty, right? It's like people people like my wife that listen that read uh, Nine Perfect Strangers or what was that one that was turned into HBO? I forget. Or what was that other one that was like top of the charts and nobody could touch it for like it felt like a year? The Crawdad singing. All the crawdads, mm. something, something. Is a crawdad like a bird? Yeah, what yeah, the yeah. fuck's a crawdad? I don't even know. A crawdad is like a crawfish. Oh, it's, ah, that makes more sense. Yeah, I was like, what? Is it a bird? Why is it singing if it's a crawfish? Anyway, I don't know. There's always something that sits on the top of these lists because it has that mass appeal. I don't get it. These books should be no. Do you know if Black Ice made number one? Did Brad Thor? It did. It, it did. did. Okay, 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 okay. Well, so. Kyle, you deserved it. Lane yeah, Moriarty, whoever you are, get out of town. I'm just kidding. She's probably very talented. Is it a she? It is how is little a I know. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, congrats, Kyle, on hitting the number two New York Times bestseller list. And thank you again for coming on today's podcast. But before yes. we get to that, we do have one thing to do. We have a patron giveaway. Yeah, We haven't one of these in a while. We should do that. Right. I think... By my count, everybody has gotten something, all of our patrons, whether it was one of our signed Vince Flynn books, we did some random thriller giveaways, we had a t-shirt, a drop, a DVD drop of the American Assassin movie, so I think for today, let's give away another t-shirt. What do you say? Pod t-shirt. Sounds good to me. And since I think everybody won, any patrons listening, if you did not win something, uh, please Reach out to us so we could set the record straight. I think I'm going to put all their names back on the magic wheel. Sounds good to me. Yeah, here we go. Equal shot for everybody. Who gets the Mitra? Okay, can we include Sherry and Dawn? Because we know they got their gear already. They got their gear already. I'll I'll leave their names for now for future um, giveaways. But yeah, hopefully it's someone who doesn't already have some Mitra pod swag. Here we go. Three, two, click, 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 one. Click, 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 click. Dennis T. I think we all know Dennis pretty well. Oh, uh, we know Dennis. There you go. Golf buddy of the podcast, senior advisor, giving us lots of feedback on what we do here. Dennis, we're hooking you up with a Mitch Rap Pod T-shirt. Look for that in the mail. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Chris, that's out of the way. We celebrated and thanked our patrons. You guys are the ones who make this podcast possible. And today we've got something special for you. Chris, fill us in. What are we doing today? Right. All right. So we want to give you a huge, huge spoiler warning because we are going deep into Kyle's latest book with the man himself. Speaking of, you know, Mike mentioned earlier how nice this guy was, is like, it can't even begin to explain how nice he is and how great gracious he was with his time over in in Spain, came on the pod, really wanted to talk to us about, you know, not this like fluffy book tour stuff, you know, dancing around everything. No, we dived deep into the plot, asked him all the tough questions, and, you know, he delivered. And right. I th- really think you guys are going to enjoy this pod. And I think you all know what our first question is going to be. We come out swinging right out of the gates with the big question, <laughs> Why'd you do what you did? Why did you end it the way you ended it? And I was just so happy to hear from the man himself. 
how he got to where he is. So we hope you enjoy. All right, guys, today we welcome from Spain, the man of the hour, I should say the man of the month since your book release. Welcome, Kyle Mills. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure to have you on the pod. I think this is our third interview with you. You've been very gracious with your time. Obviously, our podcast is is built off of off of you and, and what Vince uh, created. So uh, without you, we wouldn't be here. So thank you for that. And thank you for, for talking to us today. Yes. My pleasure. But yeah. How was, uh, I guess, to just start out by saying, you know, how did your everything go? You know, I listened to a couple of your virtual book tour things. Uh, you know, how was publication day? It was good. Yeah, it was good. People seem to really like the book. And, uh, you know, as I will probably talk about, I took some chances in the book and it's not necessarily really straight up Mitrop thriller. So I've been gratified. People seem to really like it and uh, haven't gotten too many negative comments about it. But we'll see how things go when, um, you know, it gets out into wide release. But so far, you know, the, the response has been overwhelmingly super positive. So really happy about that. You never know. Yeah. I, I know at least within like our, you know, we're pretty in tune with the, the hardcore, the, all, especially everyone who was an ambassador and everyone was saying that they loved, they thought it was amazing. So kudos to you. Good. Well, happy to hear. You even got the book cover posted on the Alhambra and a couple other uh, major <laughs> locations. Were you the Photoshop yes. artist or did you, did you uh, that source was that my out? wife. No, that okay. was my wife. She came up with that idea. It was having, cause we were walking by the Alhambra and, and it was all lit up. And she said, ah, that'd look amazing if the lights had your book cover on it. So, <laughs> and then it just went from there to elephants and red square and whatever else you dreamed of. <laughs> That was that was pretty funny. Yeah, you're having a rip of a publication day on social media. Seemed yeah, like a good exactly. time. <laughs> that was perfect, and it's always fun. You know, pub day is always fun, particularly with the ambassador program. You know, because people have read it and right. can make comments about it. You don't have to wait. So um, you have some sense of what's going to happen on pub day with the people that then get hold of it. Right. Yeah, I could tell. Speaking of ambassadors, when Brian Costello was talking to you on the book tour, he was kind of chomping at the bit to dig in and get some spoilers, but they couldn't do it, right? It was a few days before publication. Yeah. So we're very grateful that you agreed to come on the show a few weeks out after publication and release date. And we are going to ask you those tough questions. And we do want to hear from you what was going on when you wrote some of these scenes. And so, spoiler warning, anybody, we gave you a spoiler warning at the top. Uh, we're going to give you another one now, because my next question is a bombshell. <laughs> Kyle, tell us about Mike Nash. How did you end up here? What was the process like? And how early in your mind did you know Mike Nash was the mole? Uh, you know, it was kind of always the plan. The, so the original plan for this book and the next three books was that this was going to be a three book arc about the, uh, the fall of America's democracy. And that's the, what I wrote. Uh, the first draft of it was very much about the fall of America's democracy. And then the capital insurrection happened. You know, there was all the talk of voter fraud, and it seemed like it was a little, it was just cutting a little too close to what was happening in the United States at the time. And I didn't know if people would be inspired to read it, if it would mm. come off as depressing. Mm -hmm. So I retooled it uh, to be what it is now, a little bit more focused on Mitch, quite a bit shorter, actually. I had to cut like 10 chapters out of it. So <clears throat> that was always planned because. Like, there, it was twofold, really. First of all, I wanted to sort of symbolize a little bit, as long as it, it might sound a little pompous, but what's going on in the United States and the breaking apart of families and friendships over politics. And second, I wanted to do something as kind of Mitch moves into a new phase of his life with a president who doesn't like him, not quite sure what his role is going to be going forward. Something that happens to a bit cut 
you know, pretty deep. And, you know, he's been injured and shot, blown up and all that stuff. And it doesn't bother him too much, but this did. So, and it's, as I write the next book, which starts, I would say right after where this book starts, but it's not true. It's actually before the last chapter, the first chapter of the next book is the last chapter. Mm. So, um, I thought that would accomplish all that. And, uh, I know. I can't remember which of you guys was a big Mike Nash. Me, me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, I, <laughs> so I, it's funny you say that because I literally, you know, I, I saw Mike on Friday and I hadn't read it. He had read it. And then, I don't know, I just went on a, a tear and I, I finished it. And then on Sunday, I texted him. I was like, no, Mike Nash, like really Mike Nash. And, and my initial reaction was kind of like, I was like, I hate this. I like, I, I hate it. But then like, I came to appreciated reading it again and listening to it again and it makes sense and especially it makes sense because we just did or we're doing the survivor your first book there's been these seeds and um you know foreshadowing of this content between mitch and and mike nash and you can if you go through and actually see it you you can it does kind of make sense so and irene too irene and nash were at loggerheads in the last man and a few other ones yeah, I mean, and I liked the Mac Nash character, and I didn't really want to portray him in that last scene. That, you know, the kind of like um, it's a little bit of a monologuey scene, but to come off as unreasonable, you know, or like really the bad guy because right. like they were on opposing sides. But you, the the hope is that you think, well, you know, Mike Matt Nash had a couple of valid points there. Um, but I find it's really interesting the reactions people have to that because it goes it, like it's very it's it's telling about who you are as a reader I think because I've had people that are just like yeah it's such a horrible betrayal and you should have shot him in the face and tortured him to death and all this stuff and other people who are more on the other side of well he's kind of between a rock and a hard place you know which is sort of where I wanted to put him in my mind that's where it where, that's where it was. Is there a reason that you we haven't really seen him since the survivor? Like you were you purposely, you know, sort of putting him out there? I mean, he kind of comes in and out, but I like he's mentioned and there are some minor scenes with him for sure. Um Yeah, I never really fa- I never really figured out where Mike Nash fit in the rap verse because mm-hmm. he kind of always came off to me as Mitch Rap light. Right. And I never knew exactly what Vince's intent with him because, you know, there's a book. And I'm sorry, I don't remember these books because I think of it as all as one long story and I can't remember where one starts and the other starts. Sure. But there's Us one too. that's really focused on him. Extreme and, Measures, probably. Extreme Measures, yeah. Yeah. And which was like two books kind of combined with right. what, Separation of Powers or something. And so, and I always wondered was, you know, was he trying to replace rap at that point, like testing the waters? And Mike was a little more like Vince. You know, he had the family and all this stuff. So I always wondered if maybe he felt like he'd written rap for a while and didn't really realize, you know, that that character had grown well beyond anybody's ability to, you know, shift him out. So that was an interesting book because of its really intense focus on Mike. So, yeah, I haven't used him that much because I think he echoed Mitch a little bit, and right. um, mm-hmm. it just didn't seem it just didn't seem necessary. I felt like the dynamic between him and Scott, because Scott's such a different personality, right. is more interesting. If you think about the people Mitch, like the the main characters in the Changs around, it's Irene who's really different than him, and Scott is really different than him. So they're interesting to play off each other. Oh, that makes sense. I think you're spot on that. Scott is so different than Mitch that he would be a little easier to develop and write where Mike Nash's future is a little harder to delineate what it could have been or would have been being so similar to, to rap. But we just covered the survivor and, you know, hearkening back or looking at these seeds of what was to come for Nash's future. There was a real interesting conversation you wrote where Irene picks him to be her successor in the event the president accepts her resignation and asks her to resign. 
And I think that put in a lot of readers' minds the possibility of Nash in power in the future, whether it's the director seat, uh, whether it's in politics, you know, now that he has this public persona. Did you ever in your mind consider playing out that route? And my, my other question in addition to that is the route you did take for Nash, would you consider him a traitor mm. to the country, to his friends? I, I can't grapple in my mind because I'm trying to think about his final speech, his monologue up in the mountains. And I don't think he was a traitor to the country, but he was a traitor to his friends. You made me – you gave me a lot to think about. So I want to hear your take on that question. Oh, good. Um, so the first part of that question, did I ever think of him as ever replacing Irene? No. Um, going into politics though, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. I could have seen that happen. I mean, you could almost see <clears throat> Mike as president right, more right. than CIA director, you know, that he would right. go to, to go to Congress or whatever, become a governor and then, uh, you know, play up his, his kind of hero status and all this. He's good looking. He's personable. His wife and kids are kind of the perfect family. So you could definitely see him go into politics and rise really high in that. But to replace Irene, no, not really. Okay. Other than in the context that I was having it, that it was happening here, um, obviously fairly short-lived. Did I see Mike Nash as a traitor? No. Though, like I said, some people, in fact, my, the guy uh, who's my gun consultant is a good friend of mine wrote this really long dissertation to me about what a scumbag he was. And he couldn't believe that, you know, Mitch tor didn't torture him to death. And I saw it differently. I mean, what I saw was, you know, Mike Nash works for the president, not for Irene, not for Mitch. Right. The president was right. duly elected by the American people. The fact that he's a scumbag is, you know, has no bearing on that. Um, and in the end, you know, they were making enemies with the president. The president's extremely dangerous, and he saw a way out. Right. The, like, he could help them get out, you know, particularly like Irene. She's it's like, you don't need a war with the president. None of you do. And from my position as director, I can protect you. She has no reason to go after you against my wishes if I'm in this situation and I'm helping him and he's happy. Mitch you know, as he points out, is a little bit the, you know, what was it, the shit sandwich that no one can swallow. And, you know, that was sort of his position in that. But um, I, I think I see him as, as being a guy who slowly got backed into a corner and that there was no, and that, that at that level at the agency, you know, if you talk to CIA people, particularly high level CIA people, everything's gray. You know, they don't just don't deal in good and evil. Everything's just a right. little, it's not very satisfying. Only so, well, like the Sith um, deal in. <laughs> yeah. In absolutes. And so that is what I was going for. Now, again, that's, that was a big change. I mean, that's a little bit more the style I wrote in to some extent than Vince did. Vince, because he lived also during the, you know, really the Islamic terrorism period. It's very easy to say there's good versus evil. You know, pretty clearly there's good versus evil. So that's true. Right. Um, but as we kind of maybe move into a new era of threats, the good and evil becomes a little bit more, a little harder. to it's, It gets a little frayed at the edges, you know. Right. So I want to follow up on something you said about cutting chapters. And so you, you said it was sort of too close to home. Did you, had you wrote that before these events had happened? Yeah. Yeah. I think I had finished maybe the first draft when all that happened. So again, this is three for three. You're a, a Nostradamus. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, are are those 10 chapters, are there something we're going to see? Is it going to be in the next book or they're just gone? I think they're just gone. Um, okay. It was a lot of setup. Like for instance, gotcha. there's like this big background between the Cooks and Ward back when the cooks were, uh, you know, were governor of California and he was a tech guy. And so they had a long relationship and all the, there is, so it was, it was very much a setup for this idea that the cooks get, the cooks had a son who played very heavily in it because he could take over after their 16 years and, mm -hmm. and all this. So it was very much a setup for, 
a question that I find fascinating that seems much more realistic than it used to would uh, like, could American democracy fall? And if so, how would you do it? And I love stuff like that. It's just like the crime of the century, right? Like how realistically would we do that if you were a president or whatever? And so that's what I was interested in exploring. But it was already hard. It maybe wasn't fully the right path to take um, with the rap series. Um, and that was something Vince's agent and editor and I talked about. But, you know, it seemed like it was going to work. And then it, it, was, it was sort of like on the edge. You know, it was kind of already on the lunatic fringe, I thought. And then, you know, January 6th. January 6th. And then it was just like that just shoved it like it's like 250 yards over right. the edge. So it just wouldn't have been smart. I think it made sense when I heard you talk about those missing chapters, if you will, because the cooks are such a, a wonderful setup for what could happen to the American presidency and American democracy. And I knew there was more there. Just the way Catherine Cook is so cunning, but then she defaults to an investment. And like, we, we don't want to lose our $26 million. I'm like, oh, they are, I could tell they are much more dark and sinister than wanting to protect their own hide and their money. And I think that's going to play out a bit more in the second book, knowing they're still in power. They have this 16 plus year plan, which I thought was fascinating. The fact that you put a power couple in Washington thinking long term. I mean, when you look at geopolitics, a big criticism of American democracy is it's short-term thinking. And the Chinese, the Russians, they're thinking in centuries. And I feel like the Cooks is a hint at what would America look like if it started thinking more long-term and had an autocrat thinking kind of like a Putin does in how they get a handle on power. So what's what's yeah. in store for the Cooks? Um. You know, the, like I said, it kind of ends. The next book begins with the Nash scene. Yeah. But I've rewritten it from Mitch's point of view. Wow. And some, there's some stuff in it that's mentioned, like them getting having to pull themselves out of the mud and stuff that's actually now in that. Right. On the car ride, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're seeing that whole scene again. So all the dialogue's exactly the same and everything, but instead of the internal monologue coming from, from Mike, it's coming from Mitch. And so it starts like right away. And then, you know, he goes back to Virginia, just exactly what you saw. And then it starts from kind of, well, you have that as a prologue. And then it sort of starts because he says at the end of this, do you want to have a drink? And he's got to go to his house. It starts kind With of Irene. him and Irene at the house. Yeah. But, you know, they're in bad shape. I mean, yeah. Mitch is in bad shape, if you think about it. I mean, the, the cooks are going to think he murdered, you know, and probably right. tortured uh, Mike Nash, knows all their plans and all this stuff. So they're, in a, they're pretty threatened. And, then, and Mitch is, too, because, you know, he's a tough guy. But now he's got the whole, not just probably the United States against him, but you know, pretty every, every uh, intelligence agency in the, in the, you know, in the free world that, that, you know, wants to stay in good, good stead with uh, the president of the United States. So it starts off as a, you know, with him in a pretty precarious position. Yeah. Uh, I want to, so I guess, uh, to follow up on that, it's this the Nicholas Ward character. I, I really enjoyed him, and I wanted to know what your inspiration for bringing this guy in, the world's first trillionaire, you know, where where did he come from? I mean, more kind of of the, the original premise of this book, which not only was the fall of American democracy, but it also related to kind of a rising international ruling class. And because I think that's what we're seeing in the world right now, and which that's one of the things I think that's, the threats in the world now are coming from so many different directions, including internally to the United States, that it's hard to you know, it's, it's hard to keep track of them all. But one of them, to me, is you've almost got this rise in these extremely wealthy people who are very tied to the political class, and it cuts across countries um, as well. So I, I'm in, and maybe I see this more 
that a lot of people, and I'm sort of inspired by this. So strangely, I moved 30 years ago as a climbing bum to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which was kind of a ski resort town. And it's now become the wealthiest county in America. The, we- really? the level oh, wow. of wealth there is like crazy. Um, and, you know, I used to hang around Arabs in London, like, and it's even crazy compared to them. So, um, and they can kind of do whatever they want. Like, I mean, I'm not to name names, but some have been, you know, caught in heinous crimes. And it seems like, geez, something that's, you're like, well, that guy's going away for 30 years. And all of a sudden, like three weeks later, it's, you know, they're back out on the streets. Covered so, up. yeah, I mean, it, it's really, it's, it's a significant thing people should be thinking about. And then, of course, then it cuts across lines. I mean, a lot of these people, I mean, not to make myself sound sinister, but here I am with some of them in Spain. You know, I'm a legal resident of Spain, as well as the United States. So a lot of them are doing this, Chinese in particular, um, getting European passports. And it's really all about, you know, wealth. And all these people's kids now go to school together. You know, at the really high-end schools, you go to London, well, it's going to be Chinese billionaires, Arab billionaires, you know, really wealthy British people, other Europeans, and they're all creating this sort of class that's going to be hard to eradicate, frankly. So that was part of it. I was really interested in somebody being very, very wealthy. This is the world's first trillionaire, so he's four times as wealthy as Jeff Bezos. But who also who wants to do good? You know, he's he's tired of making money. You know, he's obviously succeeded in that, and he has all these plans. And Mitch is a, to some extent like a bad. He's like the devil over his shoulder, because he's like, you know, you have no idea how much power you have. It's just a mm-hmm. failure of imagination. Um, and talking about how, you know, you think this guy that runs Uganda got there because democracy and God and all that. No, he was the meanest guy. He killed the most people. Now he's there. He's like, you want it? I'll just, I'll just take out 10, 20,000 of them and we'll shove you right in that, right in his office. And it's just as valid as, as of the way he got it. So again, the blurring of the government's politics, you know, the wealth and, and the wealthy class, not to mention, I didn't even get into what I got into before with wealthy class and their ability to influence the you know, hearts and minds of people with things like you know, Facebook and Twitter and all that by controlling right. that. So Google right. you know, or track people or whatever. I mean, that's Big data. Other, yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. Is, is Nicholas Ward, are we supposed to like him? Is he supposed to be a good guy? Because like, he has these you know, altruistic, like, uh, you know, he seems to be a nice guy. but He wants to be. But I, yeah, I think he wants to be, but I think it's harder to be a good guy than you think it is. I think of Bill Gates, who really does seem to be this guy who really wants to help people. He's not trying to make money anymore. He doesn't care about it. And he's been, I mean, people think he's a lizard person. They they think he's putting chips in him. You know, he's like, like, like it's crazy. And that guy just must sit around and get drunk every night thinking, how did I get become this evil guy in the world? I'm, I'm curing malaria. <laughs> yeah. But people have a funny take on that. And so Mitch is, and that's again, you know, Mitch is the devil on his shoulders saying, you know, you have no idea how hard it is to save people because they don't want to be saved. Right. right. And this is something that he's grappling with, you know, that he's spent his life saving people who maybe didn't want to be saved. Um, so again, maybe coloring outside the lines a little bit, but. And that's what makes me so interested in the Ward character, because in some ways he passes Rap's test. When Rap's like, what if we kill some of these child soldiers or the sex slaves with Gideon Alma? At least we'd erase that terrorist group and kind of liberate this entire country of Central Africa. And Ward's like, no, I I don't want to use my influence and power to kill these people. And Rap's that devil's advocate saying, what if you have to? You know, you have a lot of power. So like I'm extrapolating that into the future, what happens when a trillionaire like Nicholas Ward stands or represents what America stands for more than the American government and American institutions itself? What do people like Mitch and Irene do when the interests they fought their entire lives for 
and the America they believe in is now more represented by an international wealthy ruling class elite and less the American government and the president themselves. And this is the question they're grappling with right now. Yeah, what is their place in all this? Because, you know, Mitch kind of works for Nicholas Ward, not sort like to the degree Mitch works for anybody, right? At his, when he's in the mood. Um, but like, what's his place in that? Yeah, what, where are they going? Where are they taking not just America now, but the world, right? Nicholas Ward is American, but he's not focused on America. He's focused on the world. Doesn't even live in America mostly. So, um, and I don't know. The answer is I don't know. And in the new yeah. book, this is still Mitch and Irene grappling with, you know, where do we go with this? I mean, maybe we could connect with Nicholas Ward and do an enormous amount of good because, I mean, you know, you, you, to some extent, the chains are off, right? You don't have to go to Congress or, right. you know, go to budget meetings or, you know, like I mean, Mitch makes the point that every, everything's free. You know, you don't, you don't have to ask for money. You just, you just take whatever you want. Nobody even misses it. So, um, and, and for him to have that kind of power and that kind of authority, I mean, even Mitch and Irene, obviously, they worked under oversight, but there is no oversight. Nicholas Ward, I mean, what, he gets mad at you, get fired? You know, I, <laughs> so. I want to know what they talk about over those couple of glasses of wine. I really well, want to know. Yeah, you I really want to know how that conversation goes. Because when Irene needs a couple of glasses, you know something's going on. It's bad. Yeah. I mean, her yeah. position is, is untenable, really. I mean, it's untenable this point so um you know where does it break because it's stretched you know it's stretched too thin so um and then what does she do with that uh, and nash I'm, I'm gave them the sure. advice yeah nash yeah, said get in bed with the cooks like make friends with them I, will they take the advice or not like you left a major clip i love the ending uh, <laughs> i've had some debates with people about the ending i take those questions like when nash says make up with the cooks it's better for you it's better for america and then Mitch and Irene don't know what to do. That ending to me is just fantastic. And I won't stop thinking about it for a year. So good. That's, that was the goal. And I would say the only thing I've really got, well, I've gotten dinged on a couple of things. I just, in fact, I just e- emailed a guy back who's furious at me about Mike Nash. <laughs> um, so I've gotten a few of those, but also I think that people felt like maybe it didn't end as you know, like a, like it wasn't completely tied up at the end but i mean the, all the plot points were tied up it just like they're alive it's a three book arc up. right so yeah and you know vince did this right. so it's not exactly. just something that that's not my thing i never did it it's so true it works for the style of the series that you would not have you know whatever we will defeat the cooks or we will you know, get in bed with the cooks like that. That's, I really didn't want to do that. And what you said is exactly what I was shooting for. I want people to be thinking about this. You know, not necessarily what, what's Mitch going to do, but like the questions that were asked, like, what I, yeah. would you do? You know? Right. I don't want people to lose the forest for the trees because I feel people for a short term are going to get caught up in what they wanted for Nash or what they thought about what Nash deserved. And to be honest, that's almost a subplot. For being a super major twist at the end, it's a subplot in the grander scheme of what does it mean for the future of America and the future of Mitch and Irene. And, and I hope, you know, don't read the YouTube comments, right? Like that's number one rule. Don't respond to the to the YouTube comments. But I think all of those people, once it settles and they're on a second or a third read like, like I've done, I think they're going to have a lot to chew on. And I think it's a major success regardless of people's first reactions. Right. That's just my. Time. I hope so. I hope so. And I'll, you know, I'm probably going to bring it down in the next one where it won't be quite, won't be quite as many lofty philosophical questions, and you know, ground it a little bit before the one after that, you know, and then maybe okay. move back into that. So, I think you want to come back and forth with it. I wanted to ask you: Do you ever think about if, uh, like, a new reader to pick up this book for the first time, or do you write it solely for people? I mean, you probably, I, I kind of know your answer, but 
how much thought actually goes into that, whether like this is the first copy they're picking up or, you know, they've like us, you've been there since the beginning. Uh, that's a tough question. Um, yeah. It really. So when I wrote a series character, I only wrote like four books about a series character. And one of the reasons I dropped it is for that exact reason that I felt like it would like enough if i'd written another book there was so much universe behind it i almost felt like mm. i had to spend two first 200 pages telling you who this guy was why he'd done what he'd done why you know whose friends were all this stuff this with vince's i felt that i could broad stroke it a lot more one because he did so it would have been stylistically consistent but also because so many people have read the books i mean his attitude seemed to be like, well, if you don't know who these characters are, you should go back and read the whole series. And a lot of people seem to do it. You know what I mean? Right. So it would be impossible. I mean, well, this is book 20. Yeah. It would just be impossible to go through all that. So I try to broad stroke it a little bit at the beginning in case somebody was just picking it up. But I do think it would not. And certainly these books are written to be amazing if you've read the whole series and really, really good if you haven't. So like, I feel like this is, I mean, any book I've written, any book Vince wrote toward the end is a really good standalone thriller, hopefully, but it's a really amazing series. thriller. if you, right. if you get all those Easter right. eggs and you understand the relationships between these people that keep getting richer and you understand where Mitch started when he was in college and now how he's gotten here and his wife died and how she died. And I mean, just the, I mean, just his complicated relationship with Claudia Gould, like you could never yeah. explain that. So I just, right. You know? Exactly. exactly. Um, and the second thing I had was, so you sort of, I wanted to get your opinion on why you chose to do this. There's a couple times where you mention uh, coronavirus or a pandemic. And I wanted to know, I feel like people are either, they don't want to introduce this into their writing at all because of the state we're in, uh, or, you know, they go the opposite way where they're just making a, you know, well, you already did that. Like, so you already had a book two years ago that fully focused on that. But, you know, I guess, why did you choose to mention some of those things and, and you know, talk about pandemic during this time? And were you comfortable you know, in, in your position in doing that? Or like, was there any thought into why you put those, you know, few, few references there? Yeah. So for me that the, so the rap verse is definitely an alternate universe. And so my references to that go back to lethal agent. Okay. So the, the coronavirus that related to lethal agent and not the coronavirus that we've not COVID, which does not exist in the rappers. You know, you could have gone either way with that. Um, it's funny, I have a scene in the, the book I'm writing now where somebody has to go in and into a, a hospital and doesn't want to be identified and they wear a mask. And I thought, it doesn't exist. Coronavirus doesn't exist. But now it's so common. I think people will just like take it as rope. Somebody might walk in with a mask and nobody would think about it even though it doesn't really exist in the rap verse. Right, so right. it's kind of a fine line. But yeah, everything I comment on relating to that, I see as being related to what he lethal agent through yeah. in Lethal Agent. And he actually, as we recall, got it. Right. He almost died. Right. Yeah. yeah I liked your, your connection with, um, you know, David Chisholm connecting him, you know, making friends with uh, – Doc, the uh, doctor, I'm, I'm like an underrated name, um, Serena Miller. Right? Oh, right. Yeah. From, yeah, like, from, uh, lethal, from agent. lethal Agent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it made sense that they would know each other. You right. Know, they were in the same business at the, at the very high end. And, like, and then it made sense. Where, I mean, think, I think the first coronavirus mention I might have made maybe was because I was in some mountain bike racing too, that after you had a, an illness like that, Mitch would be thinking, can I ever come back? Like, would my lungs right. still function? So it didn't really seem realistic for him to start thinking he was going to try to get back in, at, to biking at like a pro level, like a low pro level, without him thinking about, you know, if I'd done enough damage that this will no longer be possible. I, I don't like 
And I said this a million times, and this happened with Scott Coleman, you know, really, uh, obviously, after his running with Grisha Azroff. I do not like books or movies in which somebody gets just like the shit kicked out of them. And then the next scene, they're fine. They're back. Yeah. yeah. Resurrection. I, yeah. Like I made Scott sit out an entire book because right. after the pounding he took from Grisha, there's like no way. He's 50. There's no way that guy was coming back for like a year. Well, you consciously hear talk about Mitch's diet and exercise routine and how he has been on path to get back. And he doesn't even yeah. feel tip top shape as a triathlete so or as a uh, cyclist. And that opens the door for him to slow down his bike rides to join someone else, a younger character who has a new bike. And so I think it fits with Mitch taking on more of this family role, as we know, is kind of a priority in your recent books with his age. And with his health concerns, it's kind of all blending together to create this next phase for Mitch. You know, there was the Vince Flynn phase, top of his game. There was the in-between phase where he was questioning things. And now I feel like Mitch has to hit a critical mass with all of the the cooks, uh, the events of this book, getting sick from the coronavirus, and now Anna getting older and really relying on him and Claudio hoping to have more of him in South Africa is this like the third stage, if you will? Uh, where's Mitch in a midlife crisis? Uh, is yeah. he at the midlife crisis? Is he past the point? Where is oh, he? Oh, man, this is, this is like the worst midlife crisis ever. You know, the president <laughs> wants me dead. Um, he buys a new bike, right? That's like buying the new car. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, $12,000 bike. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I think you, you echoed exactly what I think. You know, you had... I mean, this is, I think there are some pretty clear phases. Like I said, I see the whole thing as like one long book, but you've got the pretty clear phases. You've got Mitch Young, you know, American sure. Assassin, Killshot. You've got the, well, you've kind of got the lost years, right? Then you've got the, um, the like you said, kind of the top of his game sort of period. Um, the period after I took over when things had gotten pretty dark for him and, you know, he starts to question his place in the world a little bit. And then I see this as him entering kind of another phase of you've got a president that doesn't like you. I mean, what are you going to do about that? But even once that's resolved, that still leaves a lot of questions about the future. You know, do you get in bed with Nicholas Ward, mm -hmm. try to save the world that way? You know, what does Irene do? Um, and do you still stay connected with her working together? You know, Scott, has his business and he's going gangbusters. He can do, yep. you know, he can make a ton of money and do whatever he wants. So, um, you know, do you join that? He becomes one of Scott's guys and they, you know, travel around the world and do stuff like that. So, I mean, in a way he's thinking, you know, as, as I think about this, what's really happening is Mitch is thinking about this and kind of telling me what he's thinking. Um, like, where does he want to go in life? And then as you say, he started to actually get comfortable, you know, with his little rug rat, which freaked him out before, you know, like, right. like it was kind of, you know, I always pictured him like holding her up in front of him by the back of her shirt, <laughs> like looking at her, <laughs> you know, and, and now he's starting to like, you know, kind of be into it. I just started laughing. You had that line of the evil spirit of domestic life was knocking on his door when he thought about <laughs> Amala having to sleep over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Mitch of a few years ago would have said, oh, hell no. Get him a hotel room and some pizza. Oh, shit. And then I was laughing with Scott dreaming about the tractors and Sonia from Total Power's hair yeah, you the know. Wind. <laughs> I love so it. She, yeah, I wanted to bring Sonia because, you know, it's like Sonia disappeared. And I wanted, But he's dreaming about her. Yeah, you know, I wanted to, like, keep her because I thought she'd be kind of really interesting. Um, That's funny. Interesting to keep yeah. for Scott, so maybe someday she'll come back. But, yeah, you know, that's a really different, you know, I mean, it's just a different path. You have a, suddenly you have a family and, and uh, you know, you, you're, you're constantly having to think about that. Particularly, you know, him, it causes him weakness. You know, I mean, that's something that he's always feared. I mean, even in the Vince days was, you know, clearly if you care about anything, it can be taken away from you or used against you. Right. So yeah. you're much better off just being this kind of lone wolf and, 
someday you get killed and you get too slow or whatever, you make a mistake. But that's nobody can use anything against him. Well, he's come a long way since, you know, we just, again, we just read The Survivor again. And that, that scene where he goes back and, and sees Anna and, you know, he talks about the Krennels and, and, and the Merlins of, of the of the castles. You know, he's come a long way from, from that interaction to where he's at now with Anna. So. <laughs> yeah. He's, and he keeps getting better. Like in the next one, he's figuring out a little more. So, um, yeah, I mean, I like that side of him. Now, the one thing is, though, you know, as a practical matter, and this is something I think this is why Vince blew Anna sky high, is that <laughs> it's hard to keep uh, a family involved in, uh, you know, a book about a guy like you trap, you know? Sure. So, um, I, that's why I picked Claudia. I thought she'd be a good fit for him and she's involved in the business a little bit. So, you know, you can bring her back and forth, but you know, it's hard to do the family thing. If you're running across the desert of Afghanistan, with you know, 50 people, you, know, you don't pick up chasing you. You don't pick up the phone, and, you know, right. talk about the fact that Anna's flunking out of, math class we um when we were talking about your first book we we came up with these you know well through the first uh part of the series we had a lot of flinianisms or we said things were very flinian and so we had to obviously transition to you know kyleisms and we came up with a few and wanted to know if you we we know you've mentioned on on other podcasts that some things that make your books different, obviously you, you give some sense of humor and to, to Mitch, but some of the things we picked out is that we noticed that you like puzzles and riddles like that. That seems to be something that, uh, has popped up a, a couple of times in, in your novels. From a plot you have, standpoint, you mean, or like literal. I think of the, like in this book, uh, the caches that they leave in the woods. Oh the yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I understand. And then, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the survivor had a few where Louis Gould reads the classifieds and oh, right. there's a job posting the classifieds. And I think as we go through it, there were a few other examples of things like that. Yeah, I do like stuff. A little bit of Dan Brown. Yeah. <laughs> and you definitely seem to I mean, strive on writing these team operations, especially with a logistic person. And like, you know, even before you had Claudia in there, you had this one character, um, I think her name was Maria. Maria um, Bowser, yeah. Yeah. You, you seem to write these, these team operation, uh, you know, and can jump around between the characters really well. That was just different than what Vince did. Um, you know, you sort of write the action a little bit different than Vince. It, not that yeah. they're worse, but I'm just saying, like, they're, it's just a Kyleism. It, it, that's not what we picked up on. You know, logistics people do not get enough like credit. Yeah, it's know? something that you're passionate and, you know, about. So yeah, I mean it is, yeah. it kind of is, because you talk to you talk to like spec ops guys or, or or you know, people who are fighting, not just spec ops, but anybody who's fighting. And you know, logistics is so important they never get their due. So, you know, but Mitch is great as long as he's got bullets. Right, you know, right. and even out. Marcus Dumond flying the drones or making the 3D model. I mean, you've got Marcus in his ear sometimes also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got, you've got to have that intel all the time and you've got to have equipment. You've got to have it at the yeah. right time in the right place. That's not easy to do. So I think that it's a little bit of, of like what's you know, behind the curtain a little bit, which I find kind of, I've always, I'm always fascinated with things that you, know, you don't see but are, all, but are there or subcultures of people that are there but you don't really know about. So that's probably kind of where that comes from. Interesting observation. I don't, you know, you don't see that. I saw it in Vince's for sure. Like interesting stuff that he did, like always dogs involved. Yeah. The dog <laughs> thing. Yep, yep, yep. So there's one more Kyleism, and this might be my favorite of the Kyleisms we picked out. I'm curious if you do this consciously or not. There are these monologues. Usually a secondary or tertiary character who offers some sort of commentary that borders on conspiracy theory. The the starkest one I could think of is Jed Jones. No, was it Jed the podcaster in yeah. Total Power? In this one, you definitely get Mike Nash, you know, towards the end, you know, spewing on about the future of America. And there were a few other examples of this. 
I kind of feel like you always find that edgy character who's going to offer this worldview that's somewhat countercultural, but has a lot of truth in it as well. Yeah, I think I'm a philosopher at heart. And that played out a lot more in my books, my books meaning the ones that I wrote under my own name, and much less so in Vince's. So, um, yeah, I would say that's true. And I think, you know, maybe, and this is something I've talked about with a few people, that maybe there's more of my style coming into these books. I don't think that's intentional. I think maybe it's just sort of inevitable because sure. it's, I've been right. doing it for so long. Yeah, and um, and that it's at first it was not well tolerated at all. I think by fans, um, and now it is. Maybe because it's been a kind of it's been sort of gradual, and now nobody ever says anything about it. Like people, for instance, the humor. A lot of people were really anti-humor in the beginning because it was one of the conscious things that I had changed in the books because I like books with humor. So, um, and there's been more of that, certainly the philosophizing, things like that. Um, and, but people seem fine with it now. So maybe that transition is just, I mean, it's been a long time, seven years yeah. or something. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, they've had a lot of time to get used to it. So Definitely. what else now you you've learned about Kyleisms? That's podcast vocabulary 101. <laughs> that's what Yeah, that's that's you, interesting, yeah. <laughs> what would you say makes a Mitrap novel a Kyle Mills Mitrap novel? Like what would you add to that list that you feel is your your take on the series? Like every book, what what should we be looking out for that that is you feel is your most proud stamp on the series because we're on board with you um you've earned the reader's trust and so when i read something (laughs) and it's like oh that's kind of like darkness falls you have these scientists or um one of your earlier books or like someone who plays more of an fbi character like a mark beeman i kind of appreciate seeing your voice come through now that you've earned it um so what should we look out for in terms of kyleisms from the man himself well, we should say that you earned it a long time ago, but like... Oh, right, right. You earned it with The Survivor, yeah, you know, first chapter, let's be real. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think probably what, I, what I've what i brought to that series, other than humor, I think probably the biggest thing that would be a change would be that I have a lot of quirky characters, like really imperfect, bizarrely motivated characters and that mitch gets run up against them with vince you know mitch people mostly just did what mitch told them to do you know they were afraid of him and i have characters that are maybe too crazy to be afraid of him and he has sometimes has to work with them um the book i'm working on now has has some of that but I, there was again i can't even remember which books i wrote because like i said it's a long thing but i wrote one where you know he had to work with you know, his old girlfriend from Italy and, oh, yes. you know, Grisha Azarov and this young sniper. And they were just like, you know, it's just like cats fighting the whole time, not the well-oiled machine of Scott Coleman and his guys. And so he had to manage that. And I do, but like Claudia, you know, I mean, certainly mm-hmm. is not, is, is kind of a thorn in his side. Anna, definitely a thorn in his right. side. So, um, I like that. I, I, you know, I like I like weird characters. I think they're fun to write and motivate to pitch up against, um, you know, Vince's main characters. Well, I, speaking of characters, maybe you can settle this argument that me and Mike have had. Uh, do the characters have middle names? Yeah, I always yeah. wondered. No, Does Mitch have a middle name? You know, I have the hardest time thinking up names for characters. Hmm. So the fewer, the better. The fewer right. characters. <laughs> And I've always admired Stephen King, like up at the stand, I'd love to go through one day, like how many characters does the stand have? Is it like 500? Most of whom, like, it's like the the guy who serves him a Coke and it's like Bob Jones, you know, who went to high school about 10 miles from there, served him a Coke. And you're like, crap, you came up with another name. So I try to avoid naming characters. Just going through the phone book and picking out a name. <laughs> to me, a name has to like resonate. Yeah, right. With me. Like, like I'll change. Like, like I'll write a character and I'll think, ah, oh, he doesn't seem like a Bob anymore. 
and they'll have to figure out what does he sound like. And then, of course, you got the problem. I think a lot of authors don't pay attention to, but maybe because of the way I read, I pay attention to, and that's that none of the names can seem the same because mm-hmm. so that people don't confuse characters. Right. So then they right, can't right. start with the same letter, you know, be the kind of, you know, so I'm constantly, it's just a thorn in my side to do that. So I, right. um, I actually once, I changed it, but I once wrote a book in which every character was introduced in alphabetical order because I was just going through like the <laughs> I was way back in the day. And then I thought, I should leave this and see if anybody notices. Picks it out. Oh, no one can just pick that out. That's funny. I see that's that's like a real deep cut Easter egg if somebody get, like we we do we really dig into these books I don't think we would have picked up on that one it's no over the top there's one in which one it I guess it would be this one that there's a uh, there's a direct quote and I someday I got to put it out on the, I got to find it again uh, and I got to put it out on the on the internet and see if I can find it. There's a direct exchange from a movie. Oh, so oh. it's a direct, like it's a conversation that's directly oh. from a movie. Charlie don't surf. You use that at one point. No, no, no. This is a conversation. Like a, like, I think it's reasonably lengthy, like maybe three or four lines that is dialogue from a movie that I love. Okay. And, uh, so, but I, I'm sometimes going to put out because, but I thought it'd be fun for people to try to find it because, you know, you can't Google that. Right. And every time you have a, like, you know, what did Mike Nash have for lunch and whatever, you know, people just Google it. But yeah. this is why you can't Google. So With the Kindle version, you can Google yeah. it a lot easier. Exactly. But, you, but, but it comes from a movie. There are some lines that right. come from a movie. You can't Google it. That's funny. I think it was The Survivor, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you had a line where Tommy is talking to Irene and Charlie don't surf comes up yeah, from apocalypse Charlie don't now. Surf, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So maybe that there's a Kyleism, these movie quotes you drop in. <laughs> it was only the second one. And I can't remember okay, what yeah. I, I wrote it. And I thought that's almost the same as this movie that yeah. I love. I thought, I wonder if I could shoehorn that in there. So I did. So how do you work into the next movie? You can't handle the truth. Uh, the next book. That'd be a perfect yeah. quote for this, for, uh, for Mike Nash. Maybe Anna's yeah. reading Harry Potter, you know, and we get some, <laughs> you never know. Uh, speaking of the kids though, because I mentioned Tommy and Anna, which, which of the children in the universe has the brightest future? We got Tommy, Anna, Rory somewhere in the background of Rory Nash. We've got the, the yeah. all the Nash kids, all 18 of them. So <laughs> does anybody have a future, uh, down the road here? You know, I don't know. It's hard because I'm not really aging Mitch. And I mean, I am like emotionally aging him. And he does talk about his aches and pains a lot more than he did, you know, when he, Vince was handling. He's got a whole physical so, therapist now, right? Yeah. Well, you know, the guy's pretty beat up. You look at his history. It's pretty hard. Right. Um, so, but I'm not aging, really aging him years. Um, Vince would have, I think, because he had been, but I'm not. Right. And so it's a question that I asked myself constantly. Could I keep him kind of the same, but make Anna get older? Right. And the answer is I, I still haven't like come to a conclusion on that, whether I should do that. Because it would be fun to see her come in become a teenager. And, I think so. You know, who think knows? So. You know, maybe go into the business. Who knows? Yeah. I just want to see Mitch rap with uh, some boy that Anna wants to bring home. That, that'd be an interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, but great fodder. You could do a whole novel about that. Oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so, so I have a great, yeah, I can't really decide what to do with that. It's, the aging thing is a real problem. You know, yeah, I mean, sure. if you're, if it's your book, you know, if it's Vince, you know, doing him realistically or, or Brad Thor or, you know, um, you know, whoever Silva, you know, then yeah, you they age and they become director or whatever, and you know, things change. But you know, I don't really feel like I'm in a position to do that. It's like you're a custodian. Yeah, exactly. Series. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't want to hand the next guy an 80 year old in the trap. <laughs> the next guy, don't say that. <laughs> yeah, don't say that. <laughs> don't talk that way. <laughs> Well, we want to uh, respect your time. It, it is a Sunday, and you know 
this is the first time we've podcasted in the morning hours, but what, it's probably siesta time over there for you? Yeah, it's five, five o'clock. Yeah, we're not yeah, holding you up from from a, a La Liga match, are we? So, <laughs> oh yeah, if only I knew anything. I'm gonna have to learn about that. And a couple of bottles of what's the uh, wine of choice? Tempranillo, Rioja. Yeah, Rioja. You know, it doesn't really matter. It's red and wet in, in Spain. They don't really have bad wine, so right, right. You just right, snatch right. whatever. It's like. Two, it's two fifty at a bar. You know, you sit in right. a bar and two fifty for a glass of wine. So, right. it's uh, yeah, it's pretty civil. It's pretty civilized here. Yeah, the only wine here for two fifty is that box wine we had in college. <laughs> two buck shock. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, to enjoy that bottle of wine and your siesta, uh, it, there's a Mitrap tradition we must keep alive as we have you, and that is to send you off with your very own limerick. I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, here we go. There once was a Marine named Mike Nash, ensnared in the cook's trap, so brash. Our institutions, they doubt. Will Mitch and Irene get out? Friendships burned in a flash. Kyle makes moves, bold and daring. This thriller just might leave you swearing. A book for our times. Up the chart it climbs. Thank you for the story. Keep sharing. Nice. That was that's, they're getting longer. Like like I feel like that limerick was was nice size. It's more like a poem. You, you earned a double limerick, so I gave you a double. <laughs> nice. Well, thank I, you. I keep telling Mike that I'm gonna um, at the end of our our run, I'm gonna put all these limericks together in a little in a little book, and we'll, we'll send what we'll send you a copy. We'll send David Brown a copy. You can go in the Vince Flynn. Uh, museum when when we get it when we get it uh instituted one day i think uh put some pictures in it make a nice copy there we go there we go (laughs) and you'll get an autographed copy instead of you signing the autographs for us fantastic i love that (laughs) well thank you very much so much kyle yeah thank you It's, it's been fun as always All right, we hope you enjoyed that podcast. That was a doozy, Mike. What great insight into the book from the man himself. Right. I could have gone forever, but I was just like, did we just tell Kyle what makes a Kyle Mills book? A Kyle Mills book. <laughs> we kind of did. We, lecturing um, him? <laughs> we were lecturing him on what makes his book his style. Who the hell do we think we are? <laughs> Yeah, two average random Joes just uh, commenting on books with our, my favorite book series. I got to talk to the author and break down what I thought makes his style unique. Like, that's incredible. Like, what other universe or fandom? You know, it's like we're never going to have, like, Kevin Feige or any of these, like, Kathleen Kennedy or anybody in, like, Star Wars, MCU and all this and just, like, get to tell them, hey, you know what? I think you did in those episodes, you know, in the latest trilogy, you know, kind of like this, kind of didn't like that. That's amazing that Kyle's so open to the fans. All thriller writers, really. Yeah, it, I've definitely seen that in the, in the community. You know, people are willing to talk about their stuff. And I guess it's... People want to hear, he even said on, you know, he is happy that you think of questions like that. And like mm-hmm. these books that he writes, I feel like he gets some sense of purpose like that. It, we're engaging in this way, you know, and you could imagine that like, if I've, I've even read things where like George R. R. Martin like sits down and, and people like give him their theories on like this and that. And he doesn't like to like corroborate, but he likes to like, you know, just say, oh, that's interesting. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think of it this way, you know, not like, he, he doesn't just say, no, that's wrong. You know, he's like, yeah. oh, you know, whatever. Because it, it's it's a fan, it's a community, we're all in this together. And I like controversy. So yeah. I think what Kyle did here with Mike Nash is kind of controversial for some people, right? Uh, I know you have certain feelings on it. And I love that. Like, I think that is the hallmark of a good series. And I think when the status quo is kept for so long, like, have we had a major character die off, especially in this way? So to me, the controversy, if anybody has different opinions, is a good thing. And like Kyle explaining why he did what he did, I think 
makes the series more interesting in that it's open to that interpretation and that the author had a vision, executed that vision, and we all now have to grapple with it. It makes me want the next book more of like, what's the fallout? What does Mitch do? Does he work for the cooks? What does Kennedy do? Like, she obviously can't stay in the directorship. She has a good relationship with Nicholas Ward. Like, I'm really intrigued. What does an America look like where Rap, Kennedy, and crew and the vision for America that we, the readership, share with Kennedy and Rap is no longer being faithfully executed by the government and the office of the presidency? To me, that's just fascinating. Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. And hopefully, you know, he said he's going to pick right back up right. with uh, that signature chapter but from the opposite point of view and uh, roll right into it. So can't wait. You know, the year went by quick between Total Power and this one. I hope it really for did. another quick year. It really did. Yeah, it really did. It really did. Well, anyways, we are going to go deep into this book next week, starting with uh, roughly, you know, chapter one to, to 30. It's a short book. It is very, it's only 50 some chapters, right? Right. 52, 53. I'm looking at the hardcover. It might be one of the thinner hardcovers I can recall. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Definitely. And I just, I could tell, because with the galley, it kind of had it was the same, like, galley as the uh, total power. But as soon as I pulled up the audiobook, and I, I was just shocked to see, like, it was under nine hours. It was like eight, eight right. something, you yeah. know, like that, you know, knowing that it's going to, it was a little shorter. But I think we have two episodes worth of discussions around it so part one and part two and there's a clear in the story there is a clear demarcation of part one and part two particularly around Gideon Alma so right yeah two episodes coming at you yeah can't wait all right well we said at the top but I'll say it again uh thank you to our patrons especially our special operator Sherry F our special agents George Matt Don Dennis Peggy Catherine Ray Bridget Jeff and Mark subscribe rate and review using your favorite podcasting platform find us at mitchrappod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at mitchrappod and as always just let Mitch be Mitch Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.